You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. What is it about story? This is what I want to talk about today. Story. I mean, we hear this so, so much, the power of story how significant our stories are, that you need to tell your story. And I'm just sounding cynical. I know. I'll kind of dig into that in just a second. But I just thought I would just do up a little search in her story on quotes about story on Pinterest, you know, the source for all wisdom, right? And you get so many quotes that make it sound like this could be the most defining thing that we will face as women. And that is the how and if and when we tell our stories. The one quote, it says that when we deny the story, it defines us. When we own the story, we can write a brave new beginning. Okay, that's a Brene Brown quote. She's probably the one that I think of the most for she just talks a lot about story. I know there's lots of others. I'm not really a giant Brene Brown fan. I know that probably offends some folks, but there's some biblical things that you really need to be discerning about there. But Story, it would seem, and I want to say, especially in women's circles, like this is just a really, really big deal. First of all, because you can already tell I'm sounding really cynical, which where I'm going with this is that even when I get cynical about this or if it's a different topic, I want to take that cynicism and I want to take it to scripture and be like, Lord, where does this line up? Where am I wrong? Where am I right? What adjustments would you make? Because there can be things that we can be right in our cynicism on things that maybe you see a ton in culture. And there might be some things that we need corrected on that maybe we shouldn't be cynical about some things. But I've been wanting to talk about this whole idea of story. Is it powerful? What's its purpose? You know, I don't know that I'm going to get into being able to define all of these things in just one podcast, but I wanted to talk about this for a little bit because it really does circle around a ton in women's circles for sure. And even I want to say in some really good intended purposes too that used in ministry. So again, what do we do then? When do we figure out when a story is good and when it's bad? Well, hopefully we take that to scripture and see where we should line up. I read in a study, or I don't know if it was a study or if it was an article or what it was, but it was talking about this craving that we all kind of have right now with the idea of story. And when I say right now, I don't know. I'm sure it's been around forever. I mean, obviously the idea of story has been around forever, but it would seem lately even that it's even more of a big deal. And so where is this craving for story? Where does it come from? And this article that was reading was saying that they were speculating that there is an element of this desire for story that comes from our lack of connection, which it sounds like that might make sense. Okay, so if we're wanting to tell our stories or we're wanting to hear the stories of others, it's because we're seeking to be connected with other humans. Well, perhaps why I feel like this is making such a resurgence and such a big deal right now is because I see it. I see it on that crazy little medium called social media, right? And social media was kind of created because, and people would purport the positives of it, saying that, you know, it would make us feel so connected and we would be able to share pictures and we would be able to share life with people all the way across the country or your city or the globe, you know, it would connect us. But what they're finding 
maybe paradoxically, is that social media is actually really isolating. And there's all kinds of really interesting studies, if you kind of read them about the effects, I guess, of social media, how much you're on it, how much that even affects depression rates. If you're on social media a ton, one of the things that people often recommend is just totally get off social media. Get off social media, get off for like 30 days and reevaluate how does it make you feel? I think it's kind of interesting. I've done my own experiment with this and I absolutely sense a difference in just my thinking, you know, by disconnecting from that. So it's interesting to me that while we looked to social media to connect with other people and to be able to experience other people's stories and hear about things, we also look to it as a method of being able to share our own story, right? And we stuck it out there so that people could hear those stories. And so it just, it became a big deal. And so then people started, I'll first just take it from the secular standpoint of saying, you know, story is powerful. And that's where I think you can take the Brene Brown side of things. And she's written whole books on that, on the power of story, but largely from a secular thing. You know, I want to look at what is the purpose of story in line with our testimonies. We'll talk about that word too a little bit as Christians. What should that look like? So we see story in scripture, don't we? Sometimes people say, well, yeah, I mean, parables, right? Parables are our stories, and Jesus used those all the time. And so, therefore, that's the stamp we need to use story in our life. Okay, I'm going to just take that one on parables real quick because if you go back and you look in scripture about the types of parables that you see, it's a pretty long list. But, you know, just a couple. Matthew's got a ton of parables. Matthew 18's got the parable of the lost sheep. And you got the parable of the hidden treasure. And then you got the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, right? And the parable of the 10 talents in Matthew 25. There are tons of parables within scripture. And Jesus does implore this tactic, this literary technique, really, of communicating a truth through a parable. But I don't really think we're telling parables these days. <laughs> you know, parables, as you read them, they're always pointing to a truth about the Lord, a truth about Jesus, a truth about His Word. They do point out truths about the condition of our own hearts. You know, if you think about the parable of the sower and those types of things. So we see that, but I think I'd more aptly in our modern terms, not call them stories so much as I might call them metaphors, giving us a comparison for something to help us understand something that is true. Aside from parable, you can definitely see other places, though, that there is story within Scripture. In fact, you could go so far as to say all of Scripture is one great story, the greatest story ever told, right? That's what they sometimes call it. And first of all, you could obviously see the gospel, right? The gospel is the greatest story. But I love that that great story actually even goes back even further. You can go all the way back to creation and see how a loving creator, loving God created the whole world, created us, but then we see the fall, we see sin, and then we see that love that the Father, that the Lord has for us, that He would seek to find a way to have redemption for His creation. And so as that story goes on throughout Scripture, you see that redemption that comes in the form of a baby that's born of a virgin. And then you see the life of Jesus, and you see his death on the cross and his resurrection to conquer death. Okay, that's a pretty dramatic and pretty huge story. And if we want to say that there is a story that will change your life, that would be the one that would change your life. That one's huge. So that's our ultimate story and a great example of the fact that 
how a story is even told, how it impacts us. Now, sometimes stories are used because people, they repeat them over and over, right? And again, if we're just going to go back to scripture and go, well, what's the model for that? You know, you can see that there's four gospels telling the story of the life of Jesus, telling us four times, got to wonder. And our pastor at Athey always points this out. You know, if something is repeated in scripture, there's a reason for that. We're supposed to really hang on to that. So it can be important for us to even repeat those stories. Now, I've just referenced the great story. But I'm not trying to be so cynical as to think that there is no story that could ever be retold by us that would still be in a biblical and Christ-honoring way. But I just want to ask some questions about this whole kind of craze behind story and telling your story. Because I sometimes wonder, while yes, story is powerful, and sometimes that power might even be described within an emotional capacity, sometimes stories that women share can be very emotional, Perhaps because there is genuine emotion in there sometimes, I'm sorry to say it, I think there is even emotional manipulation in there a little bit for us to make the audience feel something in a way that we desire them to feel. And we can kind of, by our word choice or the way that we set the scene and the way we describe the story, we can create that emotion. Again, not always bad, but just hang on to that because I think there's some things that we can kind of run our stories through to look and see if they're in line with how the Lord would tell that story. Because one of the things that I do wonder about with the idea with story and how powerful it is, is I do see that it's often become a little bit or maybe a lot of bit (laughs) of a me conduit. Let me tell you all about me. Let me tell you all the hardships that I've been through. Let me tell you all the things that I have endured and my suffering. And it can sound a lot like a lot of me. A lot, a lot, a lot of me. As I look at scripture, I see that our story, if we're particularly going to model it after the greatest story that's told, it doesn't point to us. The last thing it should be is a me conduit. It should always be something that is pointing to the Lord and not to us. Now, some of my favorite stories that I've heard, we've even had them here on the podcast. The first one that came to mind when I was thinking about this with story was when we had Aaron on the podcast. And Aaron, if you caught that story, it was several months ago. I can find it and we can post it in the links. But she was telling her story about, well, and see, there's my knee-jerk reaction to call it her story, but I didn't feel like it was her story. Aaron told the story, the story of she and her husband's struggles and all the things they'd gone through with in vitro fertilization and the why behind that and and all of the things. Now, the reason I liked the way Aaron told that story so much is because when I got done having that conversation with her, and I'd be willing to bet those of you that heard that podcast, you would say the same thing. I was just blown away by the Lord. Absolutely. When you hear the trials that another person has been through, there is an admiration for how they have persevered through that trial. But even in that, even in her perseverance, I felt like that she gave credit to the Lord. It was just one of those stories that at every turn, you felt like it was a point back to what the Lord had done. The scripture that came here, the way the Lord used the word here, the way the Lord orchestrated certain events that no human being could ever have orchestrated. It was the Lord. It was the Lord. It was the Lord. 
And so you come away from hearing a story like that going, that wasn't really Aaron's story. That really was God's story that he was just working out in her life, her and her family's life. I just loved it. And there's been others of those that we've had here on the podcast that those are the stories that I like to tell, that I like to hear from others, are the ones that exemplify the Lord. Because I think our stories are powerful in so much as that they aren't about us at all. So I told you I wanted to just kind of go back into scripture and I wanted to see like, well, where do we see story and the idea of testimony in scripture? Now, the word testimony when we use that, I feel like today we always call it story, <laughs> but like back in the 80s, it would be share your testimony to share your testimony. We didn't really say share your story back then, but we said testimonies and people would come to church and you know you would hear someone's testimony. And it was a good thing, but why? Why was it good? I'm going to stick to it here that I think the reason those stories, those testimonies were good is because as the definition of testimony is, which is a proof, visual witness to something that is true that they are a witness to the truth that they saw God do in their life. It's not going to point to how true they were. It's not going to point to how true even their response and all the right things they did. Because as soon as it does that, it really loses its power as far as if we're going to talk about story having power, it's powerful as long as it's not about you. As long as it's not about me, yep, and it's about the Lord, it's going to be a powerful story. But when I looked at scripture, I was looking at places where you see this idea of, did someone in scripture share their testimony? And I'm sure there's others, but I came upon Peter's story, Peter's testimony in Acts chapter 10 and chapter 11. And I'm not going to read both of those chapters, but I'll just kind of give you the gist of what's going on. Now, the background here is Peter is a good Jewish boy, right? And good Jewish guys do not eat unclean food, right? So that thing is going on in the background. Also, there is this conversation going on among the Jews and the Gentiles that are Christians, but there's just this conflict because it's like, wait a minute, did Jesus come to save the Gentiles or just us Jews, just us chosen people? Right. So in Acts chapter 10, you see this story of Peter where he is hungry and he's preparing a meal and he goes into it, says he falls into a trance and he sees this vision and it's a crazy vision. He sees this sheet that's like unfurled from heaven kind of thing. And on the sheet walk all of these animals that are not clean and not kosher. Right. So he sees all these animals and all of these things. And then he hears a voice that says, kill and eat. Okay, well, that would have been absolutely not, I mean, no good Jewish guy is having that at all. And Peter responds and says, no, no, Lord, I have never eaten anything unclean. And then it's repeated, kill and eat. And then the sheet goes back up to heaven, the vision goes away, and Peter is just left perplexed by this vision that he sees. So that's a story that is told in Acts chapter 10. And the way Peter tells it, there's a couple things that just kind of pop out to me. Okay. He doesn't, he doesn't really set the story. Like he doesn't really set the scene very well. You know, we like to color it a little bit, right? We like to make people be able to feel what we were feeling at that time and all this. And again, I'm not trying to say that all of that is bad or anything like that, but I'm just trying to look at what scripture does here. And it just doesn't really do that. Now, as that story works itself out right after, or still in chapter 10, 
there is a person who is a Gentile that comes to Peter's house and he explains why he's there and all of these things. And this is when Peter starts connecting the dots because he presents the gospel to this Gentile that comes to his door and he is saved and it's a dramatic story. This Gentile, Christ came to save the Gentile too. This is huge. And then he starts connecting the dots between Okay, when you were saying the things that God has called clean, no man can call unclean, that was part of the vision in Acts 10. God's saying the same thing about the Gentiles, saying, I've come to save them all. So then you get to chapter 11. And in chapter 11, this is when we hear Peter tell his story. So he goes to the believers, the, the Jewish believers, because remember, it's the Jews that are kind of struggling with this whole idea of what do we do with the Gentiles and all this kind of stuff. They're unclean and this is all bad. Peter goes and he explains and he tells in chapter 11, it repeats in chapter 11, just about word for word, what happened in that vision. He's retelling it. So if you can put yourself in that situation, that is in effect Peter telling his story. He's playing back, this is what happened. And which is what we're doing, right? When we're telling a story about our experience of something, we're saying, here's what happened. So Peter does that to the believing Jews, and he shares that with them. Now, here's a couple of the things that I thought was interesting reading chapter 10 and chapter 11, is that when the Gentile man, Cornelius, when he came to Peter's house, and this was a Gentile, and then Peter shares the gospel with him, and he is saved, he did not share his story with him. In this particular case, Peter only shares this testimony, this experience, this story, fill in the blank, whatever you want to call it. He only shares it with the believers, the believers that were Jews that were already kind of struggling with this whole concept of what we do with the Gentiles. And the reason I point that out is not to say that I think that Scripture is thereby saying that we're only supposed to share our story of the things that the Lord has done for us to believers. I'm not trying to make that link. But what I am noticing is that perhaps Peter was showing some discernment in the audience that his story was told to. He did not think that it was appropriate, glorifying to the Lord, or that his story would reap any rewards in the life of Cornelius by saying, you know, I had the craziest dream last night. And then going into this whole trance thing that he had, or even explaining like, oh, okay, this makes so much sense that you're here because, you know, I did just have this dream. He doesn't share that story with him. He shares it with the believing Jews. And all I think that that is pointing out, perhaps, is that we need to maybe be discerning about the audience that our story is going to. Perhaps it's not for everyone. Perhaps it's not for anyone. Did you think about that? Can we have a story that we don't even ever tell? Well, I think we can. I think sometimes the best stories that are told are ones that we never say anything about, but it's just in the way that we live our life and that it's different. I think we have a biblical example for that, and I'll end with that when we wrap up. But a couple other observations about Peter's story in Acts 10 and 11 is I was kind of comparing it against how we would describe a good story. I'm an English communications major in college, and I like stories. I love to deconstruct a plot or observe the character development or the setting or what's missing here, all of those things. I love that stuff. So when we think about what makes a good story, 
there's probably lots of things you can think about. We're going to think about that character development. Man, do the people that we're telling in the story, can you relate to them? Can you kind of visualize them? Can you kind of sense what they look like, what they're thinking and feeling and all of those things? We think about in a story, the setting, you know, really being very picturesque with our words in describing the environment that the story takes place in. And of course, stories are always going to have this good conflict, right? You're going to have some kind of conflict and resolution and all this stuff. That's what we think is a good story. And so a lot of times we're going to try to find ways in which to superimpose those elements of good story into our own story, our own retelling of what our testimony is. We're going to try to put those elements into it. Now, again, I'm not trying to be critical of doing that because, again, I think the Lord gifted a lot of people with creativity and just good articulation and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm not saying that we aren't to use those skills for his purpose. But then again, as I go and just look at scripture and I read how Acts 10 and 11 comes down, I feel like Peter in his report here, it does feel a little bit more like a report. I mean, we could call it a testimony, right? Because he retells it. I mean, you can see how he speaks it, but he's just given us the facts kind of person. He kind of sticks to what is pertinent to the story. It does give us a few emotional cues, like it says he was perplexed. But but even that, it's only in so much as it was relevant, it's a relevant detail to what he's retelling here. He's just not very superlative, which is kind of interesting because gals, come on, myself included, we are wordy. You're like, yes, Amy, we know because we feel like half the time these podcasts could be 30 minutes and there you go, 45, 50 minutes again. We are superlative often in our words. But as you measure that even against scripture, sometimes scripture is much more concise. It's a little bit more to the point than we are. Now, as it pertains to sharing maybe a story that has a lot more of emotion with it, I told you earlier that sometimes it can be difficult when you're sharing stories that have a lot of emotional context with it, particularly I would say when you're sharing those publicly, I think those ones can be tricky. But I also think that depending on the situation, you know, if you're walking with someone through grief, for example, I have a really good friend that we both lost our dads at different times, but the two of us together have been very much able to share our experiences with the things that I went through when my dad died and then when her dad. And while, you know, grief is something they're like, well, everybody's experience is different. 100% true. Absolutely. And even how you'll cope with all of that is different. But I'll just say from personal experience, when you have believers that love the Lord, that want to walk beside each other in kind of a shared story in that way, if I can extend this term into that, I think there's not only, I want to say the power in that is that it has pointed for us, it's pointed us closer to the Lord. It's drawn us to seek the Lord and comfort each other, but it's always been around the Lord, I have to say, and it's been an unbelievable shared experience, shared story with this other person for me. So I certainly don't want to give you guys the idea that there is no merit in sharing your personal stories with people. That's really not what I'm wanting to do. Sometimes, you know, like I'm thinking of this gal 
with the grief thing or other things, when you talk about those things with another person, you will find that it helps with the, what I sometimes call the martyr syndrome a little bit of like, I'm the only one, you know, (laughs) nobody else is experiencing this. And maybe that person won't have experienced it exactly like you. But I do think it can be healthy for us to share those things that we're struggling with in the moment and share our stories with that with the idea of encouraging one another and coming away from the I alone am the only one that has experienced this. That's not a healthy place to be in. And if that's where you find yourself, that's something you need to pull back from. We're not to be a martyr or look for ways that we are the victim. And again, I think that is something that may be unintentional, but that is something that story does. And I've even seen that in Christian contexts where someone wants to share their story, but what it turns out to be is all the ways that they have been victimized and all the ways that they have suffered and all of the things that I know that probably sounds like I'm being completely jaded and unfeeling when I say that because people go through horrific things. I'm not saying that to discount the unbelievable trial and difficulty that people experience, But when somebody tells you that story and they're constantly pointing to their suffering, where in the story were other people edified? Where in the story was the Lord glorified? That's the things that we need to ask. So I think that's where I want to go with this, because it's not necessarily to say that story doesn't matter, because it does. And we see really good ways in which story is used in Scripture. But I have three things that I think we can ask ourselves when it comes to sharing our story. And the first one, and this one's a big one, the first one you should ask when sharing your story is why. Why do you want to say this? Why do you want to share? If you can answer that in about two seconds, I'd say back up. Like just hang on a second and pray about it some more. Somebody can say, why do you want to share this? And you say, oh, you know, I just want to encourage other people. Okay, that is the right answer. But I would just want to poke at that just a little bit and make sure you really have spent some time with the Lord to arrive at that answer. Why am I sharing this? And I want to say even like once you've answered it for yourself, maybe spend even a little bit more time in prayer. Okay, and why are you camping out on this? It's because sometimes I don't even know if we know our own why. Sometimes I think we even plant in our brain like, Well, people will think that I have overcome something or there you go. What happened there? Pride. That's what happened there. The why. Like be really brutally honest. Pray this one if you dare. (laughs) This one's a brutal one, but I love it. Psalm 139, 23 through 24 says, search me and know me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Okay, I added the search me and know me twice at the beginning of that, I know. But search me, oh God, know my heart. Because the thing is, I don't know sometimes if we know our heart very well, but the Lord does, and we can ask him to search us, know our hearts, and then ask the Lord, Lord, is there any wicked way in me? Is there any motivation behind what I want to do or sharing this story that is wicked. I actually love, that's how the King James puts that. See if there be any wicked way in me. Because again, we often try to like sanitize a little bit our sin or like, well, it's not so bad. No, it just, scripture just calls it as it is and calls it wicked. 
So if it's pride, if our why is that, well, I want people to see me as an overcomer. I want people to see me as someone who has, you know, persevered through just a huge trial. Okay, that's pride. And the word there is actually just wicked. It's just wicked. We are going to be the last person on the planet to be able to look at ourselves and go, oh, okay, Lord, yep, yeah, I guess that is wicked. Because we want to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt all the time. We're like, well, maybe our my thought wasn't that bad. I don't know if it's quite wicked. Nope, it's wicked. But the Lord can test our thoughts. He can help us to discern, yeah, your motivation is pure here or it's not. It's really, really, really important, I think, when we are thinking about sharing our story If we truly intend for them to be powerful and used, again, it can't be about us. So we need to know the why. Why do we want to share this? Will this point to me or will sharing this point to the Lord? Psalm 115 verse 1 says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. I love that. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. So will it point to me or will it point to the Lord? What's the why? Know the why. So I think that's the first thing to ask yourself when you're thinking about whether or not you should share a testimony, share a story. Why? The second thing is to ask, is this the right time? Now, I don't think there's a strict formula for this one. And again, it's not like AIM has some vast wisdom over here. This is a lot of just experience with this, either hearing people's stories or giving my story. Times I've done it right and times I've done it wrong. And this question right here, number two, is it the right time? Again, I think the only real answer to this is to pray about it. Just like you have to pray about and ask the Lord to search your heart to examine if there's any wicked way in you, if there's any selfish motivation or any prideful reason, this one's the same one. Pray about it. Sometimes I think that there is a furthering of just awe of the Lord when you do share something when you are kind of in the throes of it. You know, if you are really going through it and the Lord puts it on your heart to share something, sometimes even that transparency of showing to another person that you're human, you're weak, that can be really encouraging to someone. But what you need to be careful of and you need to ask yourself when you're evaluating if it's the right time is will your rawness maybe the nearness to the situation that you're in, will it be a distraction to what the Lord is doing? Because that's what we don't want. We don't want us to be a distraction to His story. And perhaps that really important pronoun is the most important part we need to get out of this when we're thinking about story. When you're telling it, when you're thinking about it, as it's even being created in your day-to-day life right now, is it His or is it yours? Because we just are really good about switching those pronouns out. We want to make it all about us and not about the Lord. John 3.30, it says, he must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist says that in John 3. And I've always loved that phrase anyway. And it's so good to keep in our brain of, man, am I elevating me right now? Or am I elevating him? And John the Baptist, whenever I picture him in scripture, I see this just larger than life, dude. I can't wait to meet him someday. And so the humility for this man in scripture to say he must increase and I must decrease, even John the Baptist, who was a very public figure, right? He actually wasn't in the background. He was a very public figure that recognized, man, the Lord Jesus, he must increase. I must decrease. 
I love that. Such a great perspective. Is Jesus on display or are you? You know, sometimes hearing someone who's going through a crazy cancer battle with a big smile on their face is ridiculously encouraging. I won't name her right now, but I'm thinking of somebody right now that is absolutely going through it with a cancer battle and the treatments and all of the things that go with it. And every time I see this woman, she is telling me her story. She's telling me by the big smile on her face. She's telling me by every time I see her, reminding me how good the Lord is. Someone who's going through cancer, going through all these treatments, oh, the Lord is so good. That is what her story is right now. Now, is that pointing to her? Is that her saying that, man, I'm just so strong and I've been able to, no, no. Every time it points to the Lord. But she's in it right now. Like the nearness of her struggle is right now. It's not like she's four or five years past this. She's in it right this moment. So I sometimes think that the Lord could use even the nearness and when you're right in the battle as a time to actually share that story to give glory to the Lord. I've seen him do that. And it's amazing. Now, that's not always true, though, is it? Sometimes when we are in it, we're not at our best. And we can become the distraction. Our emotion or just wherever we're at can be really hindering to the ultimate victory that the Lord's going to have. Because see, we define our terms very differently than the Lord. When we think victory, the world hears happiness and health and you know everything just going peachy. The Lord does not always define victory that way. And so sometimes it takes time. It takes months and it might take years or even decades for you to be able to look back and be able to share the story in a way that it is going to give glory to the Lord and not to you or your experience. So that's the second thing. The first thing in sharing your story is know your why. Second one, is this the right time? And there's not a right solution on that. The right solution is to be in prayer and be discerning and being obedient to what the Lord is asking you to do. The third thing I think in evaluating where we're at with our story is to ask ourselves the question, is it edifying? Okay, so that's just a fancy Bible word of saying, is it encouraging? Is it building other people up? Is it edifying? That's the big deal. Because that kind of comes back to our why, right? That if you know your why, that will help you to be able to also answer this one. Is it building up and encouraging to others? It is not edifying to other people for them to hear phrases or to get the message in however way we choose to transmit it of you can do it. You're amazing. Man, you've gone through it. And man, there's nothing you can't handle now. Or my favorite is when people say the Lord won't give you anything more than what he thinks you can handle or something like that. That's not true. That's not true. The Lord gives you stuff all the time, things that you can't handle. Why? Because he's the one that handles it, not you. So if our message in it is you can do it and you're amazing and all of those things, that is not edifying to other people. That's just a hard pass on that one. Lots of scriptures about encouraging and edifying one another. Romans 14, 19 says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We are told to encourage those that are around us and be building them up. I love this picture of being the builder, and women were told to be builders. In Proverbs, there's a couple of places, but my favorite is Proverbs 14.1 says, The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. 
we can be builders of other people. I love the context in 14.1 is definitely talking about even our own homes and how we're building up others, whether that's with our words or our actions. But there is stuff we can do there to be builders. And we're told to do that. We want to be encouraging to other people. We want to build them up. One of my favorites, especially when people consider the difficulty that they may be going through and asking themselves questions like, why me? Why am I going through this? Little tip there, if that is where you're at right now, that's probably going to go back to the number two, is it the right time? Might not be the right time to share your story if you're still in the throes of that question. But 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6 kind of answers that whole question of why we go through really, really tough stuff. And I think some of it comes into this idea of story. It says in 2 Corinthians 1, Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that, here's the so that, we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. We are supposed to be a comfort to people. And you guys, you know how it is. If you're somebody who's gone through a really difficult time, you are uniquely equipped by the Lord to comfort someone else who's going through that. And there will be, and I would say even look for those ways in which you can share your story to comfort someone else who is going through maybe that same affliction. And I love actually that when he says this affliction, he doesn't say the type of affliction. Because affliction, I think sometimes people think like, well, okay, you're going through grief and I've never gone through grief, so I can't possibly comfort you. I don't think that's true. Because is that person that maybe has never lost anyone, have they gone through affliction in their life? I'd be willing to bet they have gone through some sort of affliction. Same thing with like, I have never had cancer. But does that mean that I can't be a comfort to those that also go through an affliction that might not exactly mirror mine? But I still understand how I can comfort someone who is going through an affliction. So I don't think this verse, these couple verses here in 2 Corinthians are specific to only those who have gone through certain sets of afflictions. I think they're for all of us. And I think there's ways that we can all look at that and go, man, how can I build up and encourage? And sometimes that's going to be through the sharing of your story. You know, Paul shares his afflictions all the time, doesn't he? But I love the way Paul shares it. There's that one time where he kind of goes through the laundry list of, I've been through this, and I've been through this, and I've been through this. But even then, when he does it, he's kind of in a no-drama way. When I think about, you know, we know from outside biblical references, when someone was like flogged, or somebody was beaten, or, you know, thrown in prison during Bible days, okay? We think prison, and we think our context for modern-day prison, and yeah, like, they don't even compare. (laughs) Uh, Prison in biblical times was unbelievably horrible. But Paul doesn't really go into, just doesn't even go into all the details. If I would go so far as to say, he doesn't really paint the picture, does he? He doesn't really go into the drama. He doesn't really set the scene. He doesn't give us good character development. He kind of doesn't do that. But he does tell us about his afflictions and suffering. But I think one of my favorite times in which Paul kind of tells his story is when he isn't even talking about his situation at all. In Philippians, he talks about joy over and over and over. He's just talking about joy. 
But in the background, like where the setting, if we were to, to go into that and somebody was to give us a movie and a big drama on where Paul is at that moment, he's in one of those really terrible, awful biblical prisons. Bible era, ancient days, <laughs> prisons. They're gross. They don't have ping pong tables and they don't have cable. That's what he's in. And it would have been horrible. And I'm sure we would find ways to tell that story in a really dramatic way. But that's not what he does. Instead, he uses that as the backdrop, as the, I guess, the platform on which he just talks about joy. That's an amazing thing to think about if when we're telling our story, is it to go into all the details or is it talking about the joy? Is it somehow pointing to the Lord? You know, I just love that. And I think that's a really good biblical filter maybe to run our own story through. Now, what if you are one of those that, because I hear this sometimes where people want to share their stories because they really feel like they need to be heard. They feel like I just need someone to hear me. We'll probably do a whole episode on that at some point because I think there's a lot behind that phrase right there. I don't know that sharing your story is necessarily what you're looking for. I think if you're looking to be heard, you need to pray for friendships. You need to pray for close friends and a great circle of gals to come around you. That's probably not the time to always look for the public ways of sharing your story, but maybe we should look at looking at the private ones. I think sometimes those are some of the most powerful in which to do what 2 Corinthians was talking about on comforting other people. Not that that is only in a private setting. It can be in public too, but don't always look for the public ways of sharing, but maybe the private ones. The Lord may ask you to share your story sometime in a very public way that would bring him glory and point to him. But a lot of times the story that he is telling is told in daily relationships that we have, in just the life that we're living and walking in, maybe not even through like, here's the deal, let me just lay it out. And if you're feeling like you don't have that kind of friend, best advice out there, be the kind of friend you want to have. Just be there for others. Be unselfish with your time. Pray for others. Be all about others. I mean, that's huge right there. I love Psalm 84, 10 through 12. Verse 11 is where like the highlight, because that's where it says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And when I think about this and having good friends and having people that you can share the things that the Lord is doing in your life and be heard, I'm kind of doing that in air quotes because I don't know that that's necessarily what we need. But it says in Psalm 84, verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Again, it makes me just want to like just break that whole couple verses down. I love it so much, but there's contentment in there. You know, man, better to be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than anywhere else. I just want to be with you, Lord. Or looking at that it's the Lord that we put our trust in. It's not other people. It's not that we have this specific friend group that we thought we would have or whatever, but putting our trust in the Lord. But no good thing does he withhold. So if that's you and you're like, I want to be able to share stories with other people, hear their stories, you know, just that whole being heard thing, be in and at church, you know, serve with other believers, hang out with other believers, but take your focus off of you and even 
I'm not trying to sound harsh, but take it off your desire even to be heard and just put it on others. Just consider others as better than yourselves. That's what scripture tells us. And put that focus on other people. That in itself will be really helpful to you. And then I think down the road, I think the Lord has ways in which you get to share that story as so far, remember, that it points to Him and not us. That's where the powerful stories are. I want to end with this really, I think, what is a really dramatic testimony in Scripture. And that is of all the testimonies that I can think about, or of somebody who had a really powerful story to tell, but kind of doesn't maybe tell it in the way we think it would be told, I think it's Mary. Mary, mother of Jesus. Now, and think about the scene a little bit, right? Okay, Mary's maybe 13, 14 years old. I don't know. And an angel appears. Okay, kind of dramatic. That's kind of a big deal. An angel appears, tells her that she's favored, that she's blessed, that she is going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Okay, things are starting to get a little crazy for the 13-year-old. And this is all kind of turning out to be a really dramatic story, don't you think? Now, we know that that story is retold because it's in Luke, and Mary probably told that to Luke, and it's written there in Scripture for us to read today and inspired by the Holy Spirit that that should be there. But what you don't see in the pages of Luke or Matthew or Mark or any of them is Mary just these retellings of her talking about her experience. And in fact, this is what I find the most dramatic about Mary's testimony is I think her testimony comes into what we throughout history, church history, called the Magnificent. And it's this kind of this prayer, basically, but it's her response to her experience. This is the story she tells. And I just want to read it to you, and I encourage you to go and read it for yourself. It's in Luke 1, verse 46 through 55. It starts out with this, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Okay, I probably read that in an annoying way, but I was trying to point out all the times where she constantly is just pointing back to he, to God. The very first part of that, my soul magnifies the Lord. You know, how many times in that did she recount what her contribution was to the situation she finds her in? It's not there. I mean, her contribution, she says, my spirit rejoiced in God. (laughs) She did that. But even that, any good thing, that's even from the Lord. She even says, she says, I get to be blessed because of him. She says that she will be blessed. But when we think about the ways that the world describes blessing versus how Mary, this 13-year-old girl, again, can I just remind you, pregnant, I'm sure that went over real well in the village, you know? All of that had to be an enormous challenge that she went through. She didn't even get that a blip. There's not even a mention of anything, not even one negative look that she got from the lady that crossed her on the street when she was pregnant, 13 years old, by the Holy Spirit, right? Nope, she doesn't mention it. She just says, I'm blessed. 
I'm blessed. It just strikes me here that if anybody had a excuse as we would deem it, to have the focus be on her and the things that she had gone through and her experience and her story, it would have been Mary. Yep. I think it would have been Mary, but she doesn't. She does not have the focus on her at all. So here we go. Should we share our stories? Do we not share our stories? Not my job. (laughs) I don't know. Go to scripture. Look at biblical examples of what that looks like. You know, if you're somebody that's going, man, Lord, would you have me share my story at this time? Or maybe somebody's even reached out to you and said, hey, would you be willing to share at such and such? Be prayerful about those things. Not every invitation is necessarily something that you should do, but sometimes that is a door that the Lord is opening. But I would encourage you to go back and look through those things. Very first thing, pray, 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 pray. Ask the Lord. Go through Psalm 139 and say, Lord, What's my motivation here? Ask your why. Pray, ask your why, consider the timing. Consider if this is the right time for you. And then ask, is it edifying to your specific audience? Whether that's one person, whether that's a big group, is it edifying to them? And then I'm just gonna say, pray again. (laughs) Keep it so prayerful because we just want to always be syncing back up with the Lord. Lord, is this putting you on display or is this putting me on display? It isn't that the Lord doesn't use us, right? The Lord uses the weak and the foolish things, absolutely. And how does He do that? The how He uses us is because He's the one that's doing it anyway. That is the story right there. He's the story. If our stories are all about Him, then we can be certain they are worth telling. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of AV Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at apcreek.com.